Welcome back, everyone. This is the Power Six Big East Basketball Podcast. I'm B. Frank. He is Sam. We've got a lot to talk about. We have not hit the airwaves since Big East Media Day weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Feels like a year ago at this point. Uh, we have gone through Feast Week. We have lived through the Gavit Games. Sam was on hand for the Maui Invitational. We will get to that later. Uh, I was on hand for Seton Hall's loss to Iowa in the Gavit Games. We will get to that later as well. But as we gained, air quote, notoriety or whatever you'd like to say, our popularity uh, on the Twitter sphere, it came through a weekly exercise that we would do that was power rankings in the Big East. And so it felt fitting to start the, the first show now that games have been played, there are results, there are statistics, there are things to break down to start there with the power rankings. And I threw you a bone. I'm going to say this for right, right out front. I, I threw you a bone. I put Creighton at number one. Uh, it's hard to fault a team that is 6-1 right now, ranked in the top 10, and their only loss is to Arizona, who is admittedly a very good basketball team. The problem is that the team I have at number two is probably just as, if not more deserving of the number one spot, given that it's a power ranking. And that's UConn, who's 8-0. Yes, they played nobody early on, but what they did at the Phil Knight Invitational or whatever, Legacy Challenge, whatever it was called, uh, I can never remember because they had two this year. Uh, what they did to Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State was beyond impressive. Uh, and the way they have shown that they are not just a one-trick pony with Adama Sinogo. Tristan Newton has been great. He had a triple-double against Buffalo. Hawkins has played well. Jackson has been good. Klingon's been there. Like They, they are much more than just Adama Sinogo. Absolutely. And, and losing R.J. Cole and Tyrese C. and those bulldog of a guard, um, I just said they've had people kind of step in and uh, have exceeded expectations more so than any team in the Big East. Um, so I'd, I'd just because Creighton's lost and uh, uh, UConn had, and I'd, I'd slot UConn personally uh, up ahead, but um, only to remind the listeners that UConn has not beat Creighton yet uh, since joining the Big East. Um, so I'd imagine that never if forget two, that exactly. E even if they're one two all year long, which it appears as though they will be, and now UConn's vaulted themselves all the way up into the top ten. Um, those would be my one too as well, just in inverted order. Yeah, and, and frankly, I don't think it's it's too much of an argument either way. Like Creighton fans can argue one way, UConn fans argue the other way. Mutuals would probably put Creighton above because we all dislike UConn so much. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a clear top tier of Creighton and UConn, and then it's an absolute shit show, I think, throughout the rest of the conference. Uh, the way I have it, I have St. John's at number three strictly because they are undefeated. They really haven't done much to deserve it. They they beat Merrimack, Lafayette, Central Connecticut State, Nebraska, Temple in a tight game, Syracuse in a tight game, Niagara, and LIU on Tuesday. Syracuse in overtime is a tough look because Syracuse has looked bad <laughs> this season. Like Pretty simply, they've looked bad. Their test comes on Sunday against Iowa State, but it is their only non-conference game at this point because Florida State is another non-conference opponent they have. The Knolls are terrible, so St. John's really needs to show something in that game against Iowa State. As we move down the list, I've got Marquette at number four. 
Golden Eagles picked up a monumental win over number five, or excuse me, number six Baylor earlier this week to start off the Big East Big 12 challenge battle. Excuse me, it's a battle. It's not a challenge. Uh, 96-70, dominant performance. Olivier Maxence Prosper has been really good this season for Marquette. Tyler Kolick, he kept the receipts. He, he talked that talk. You mentioned it in the uh, preseason show. He's been great as well distributing. I think he's averaging over eight assists a game. He's had three games already this year with double-digit assists. One to, to talk about and someone that's going to challenge. And then to, to round out my top five, I've got Xavier just edging out Providence. That may be a little unfair to the Providence fans. Uh, Xavier did beat Florida. There are three losses. Though. They're four and three. Their losses are Indiana by two in a game that they probably should have won. B. Fox would agree with that. Duke by seven in a game that they had multiple opportunities to win. And then Gonzaga by four in a game that they had the lead midway through the second half. Um, so Xavier has shown a lot. They have not shown the ability to close. What are your thoughts on those three teams now as we, as we kind of work our way through, through the top tier, like the clear top tier of the conference and into a little bit of the mess in the middle? Well, it would not surprise me if any of that group of three teams uh, would knock off Creighton or UConn once, mm-hmm. maybe even twice a year. Because um, as you as you said, um, Marquette with probably the game of the year, the win of the year so far in the Big East, knocking off Baylor. Um, yeah. As unexpected as UConn has um, been, kind of vaulted into the top ten. That result itself has been the most surprising for me this season. Um, holding for. Uh, turning Baylor over 20 times, which is just yeah. absolutely incredible. Uh, they got out-rebounded by eight, but when you force 20 turnovers, that's much less of a worry, and they scored 96 points in that game, where Nails defensively, uh, I think, hit 58% of their shots and nearly 50% from uh, three as well. So, um, and yeah, as you Tough said, Tyler Kolick, when you do that. Absolutely. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler Kolick um, leading uh, the conference in assists by – almost three, three and a half full assists a game at over eight, as, as B Frank said. So um, Xavier also has three, even though they are just four and three, um, don't let the record fool you. Those are three of the, I don't know how to phrase this best losses. Yeah. (laughs) The losses aren't going to hurt you on selection Sunday. Absolutely. They would be nice to have in the win column because not to cut you off their, their schedule ahead just to, to fill in a little bit of the blank West Virginia, at Cincinnati and Southeast Louisiana and Southern, those aren't those aren't needle movers, any of them by by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. And so you could joke that they're the best four and three team uh, in the nation. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, not much to add. Uh, otherwise, I haven't um, admittedly seen Providence play a whole heck of a lot. Um, but uh, that that next tier um, will be tough and. Um, obviously won't roll over and Marquette can beat anybody as they've shown. Yeah. As we, uh, as we mentioned though, moving through Providence, Butler and Seton Hall are my six, seven, eight Providence five and two on the early, early start in the season. Their wins are, they leave something to be desired. They barely snuck, snuck it out. Let's try that again. They barely beat out Ryder to open the season 66, 65. Since then they have looked better. Losses to Miami and St. Louis. St. Louis is a solid team. Miami is playing pretty good basketball right now. 
So maybe not the worst. We'll have to see how they age. Yeah, Providence really doesn't have a loss to point to at this point in the season. They beat a bad Merrimack team. They beat Columbia, who has struggled throughout. They do have opportunities. TCU, Rhode Island, who's struggling as well this this early part of the season. And then you're into the thick of it with Big E's play. Uh, the good news, though, Fenwick legend Bryce Hopkins is playing well, so shout out to him. Uh, Ed Croswell is playing pretty solid basketball as well there. Uh, and as we move through Butler, I like Butler a lot. I think they can be a very difficult team to beat in the Big East. As we're recording right now, they are playing Kansas State. Uh, I will get a score update in just a moment, but they've got a loss to Penn State, who's an up-and-coming team. They've been dealing with injuries a lot early part of the season. They lost to Tennessee and they lost to NC State, but they do own a win over BYU. If the score is the same as uh, when I saw it earlier, they are up. They were up handily, up 12 at the half. It is now a five-point game on Kansas State. That would be a solid win. Not that I expect a ton from K-State this year, but still getting a win over Big 12 team matters. And then Seton Hall. Uh, it's been a rough start to the season. I will have many more thoughts, but they get a, a miraculous buzzer beater bank in three from Tyree Samuel to beat Memphis, which just feels good on so many levels because I can't stand Memphis. Lose to Oklahoma in a game that nobody really wanted to win, and then they lose to Siena in a, a lifeless effort. Um, they've got Kansas on Thursday, December 1st, so that'll be lovely. Uh, and then a, a tune-up game before the Garden State Hardwood Classic against Rutger on December 11th. Uh, but that that's the, the bottom half of the middle tier for me, 6, 7, and 8. I will uh, leave it for your thoughts. Yeah, the um, uh, there, there's not a ton to add, really. Um, a, a, as we kind of talked pre-show, it's it's kind of been tough to catch some of the uh, early season games uh, against um, lackluster opponents. Yeah. Um, uh, so if, if games are on FS2 or CBS Sports Network, um, obviously as the uh, as the season gets on, when everything when everybody's playing each other and more now, especially during this this battle of uh, the Big East and the Big 12 that has a few games going on right now, and if uh, Butler can avoid what they um, did against Tennessee, just completely collapse in the second half and um, stay hung tough with the balls for the first half. Um, That'd be a great one for the conference as well, uh, playing K-State right now. But you'll know how that turned out uh, when you listen. Absolutely. And then to close it out, there are only three teams remaining. What order are they in? I'll tell you right now. Number nine is DePaul. Number 10, Georgetown. Number 11, believe it or not, it's Villanova. The team I picked preseason to win the Big East is at the bottom of the league. We will... We, I'm sure we both have a lot to say about Villanova. Um, DePaul started hot 3-0. They've lost their last three to Santa Clara, Oklahoma State, and Texas A&M. Not totally surprising, given uh, the, the state of the roster at this point. Georgetown has been a mess. They struggled in overtime with Coppin State. They lost to a pretty mediocre Northwestern team. They got blown out by Loyola Marymount, and then they lost to American at home. They they need a lot of help in, in big ways. Um, and then Villanova, woof. They struggle to beat, excuse me, they beat LaSalle. They, they struggle and lose with Temple. They struggle to beat Delaware State after that. They lose to Michigan State, Iowa State, Portland by double digits, and then a, a average at best Oregon team. 
what is going on with Villanova? We know they have injuries, but but what have you seen in this early part of the season, and why are they? Why do you? First off, do you agree that they are the bottom team in the Big East power rankings at this point? And what have you seen out of them? Words that I never ever thought I would write on the blog or say on these airwaves, but yes, Villanova is at the, at the uh, in the cellar looking up at everybody else. Um, Breaking news. <laughs> may hopefully won't be the case uh, just for the good of the league um, going forward, but uh, they just haven't been able to. Yes, injuries are a concern. They got to get healthy stat, but you, you you roll out the ball and you play with the players that you got. Um, depth obviously would now be a concern with Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore out. Um, you'd hope mm-hmm. that they'd be able to. I think Villanova fans looking at the schedule hope that they'd be five and two at this point with a win or two yeah. at the PK eighty five. Um, but they just haven't been able to close out close uh, close out close games. They're I think. Two or three of their losses are to, are by two or three points uh, to Iowa State and Michigan State, and then uh, lost by four to Temple, and that is not the Villanova basketball that we're used to say, seeing under Jay Wright. Obviously, Cal Neptune is at the helm now, um, but just a failure failure to close out close games um, is the biggest. Um, given the players that they've got on the floor is the biggest concern that I've got right now. And that uh, I'm sure things are not very pleasant in suburban Philadelphia. Yeah. I, I saw someone saying on Twitter, they're trying to do a lot with a lot of role players. And I think that's pretty apt. The problem is I don't know that Cam Whitmore or Justin Moore make up all of the issues that they're having. They're 338th in the country in rebounding. They are shooting the ball, I think it's 31% from three, which is the one of, if not the lowest totals I've ever seen out of a Villanova basketball team. Um, they aren't passing the ball well. They have a huge problem at point guard. I think that's the biggest issue right now. They, they don't necessarily have a lead guard. Caleb Daniels can kind of slot in there. Chris Archie Diacono is nowhere near his brother, and he cannot play... 30 minutes a night. He, he just can't, at least not at a Big East level. Um, but they're shooting 31.4% from three. And the only guy above 40% is Brendan Housen, who's playing about 10 minutes a game. The fans love him, but he doesn't get enough run. or Maybe not enough run, but he just doesn't fit what they need right now. Um, and so there's a lot of issues with this roster. Uh, the makeup is is not great. They're getting, you know, they they have a ton of guards. They're just not seeing what they need out of guys like Jordan Longino and, and Brandon Slater. And I think that's a huge, huge issue for them right now. Yeah, and Caleb Daniels being one of the leading scorers in the conference would typically be a highlight, but he's almost have to, having to do it out of yeah. necessity because nobody else can step up. So yeah. That, that's been, as you said, Villanova has, every great Jay Wright team had a phenomenal point guard. Uh, Jalen Brunson, uh, Ryan Archidiakono, uh, most recently Colin Gillespie. Um, they're really hurting for that right now, and they don't have a ton of depth uh, in the post. So those rebounding numbers are, I, I did not realize that they were that low. That is scary bad. That's Iowa football offense bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's impressive. I, granted, some of it has to do with their tempo that they play, if I'm correct here. Yeah, they're 338th in adjusted tempo per Ken Palm. 
and their offensive efficiency isn't bad. It's really the defensive end that's hurting them. But still, when you only average 31 and a half rebounds, 32 rebounds a game, like, and you're shooting 30% from the field, that, that math adds up to me that, that you should be struggling. And not turning people over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, that's the power rankings. We can kind of dive into our best and worst start here. I think it's obvious for the worst start. We just spent time talking about Villanova, so maybe we can skip that part because it's pretty clear. Who are you giving the best start to? Uh, UConn, just because they're undefeated. Um, If uh, Creighton was able to pull off a furious comeback in a game that they eventually lost by two to Arizona, I'd I'd gladly give that uh, crown to the Jays, but... uh, they weren't able to and UConn's undefeated and won the one there uh, MTE or whatever we're calling it. Um, mm-hmm. And Adama Sonogo is playing like uh, every bit of the preseason biggest player of the year um, that uh, he, he was given that title by the coaches. And uh, in just 24 minutes a game, he's averaging 18 and a half points, uh, seven rebounds and shooting 63%. So um, he, but, Obviously, he's a, he's a big part of what they've done, but as as you kind of talked about their uh, their their supporting players or role players, they've stepped up um, and performed very much exceeding expectations, vaulting vaulting them all the way up into the top ten. So UConn's my uh, best start to the season. I've got to give a special shout out to St. John's. Um, as you said, still undefeated and beat Nebraska by twenty, which always warms my heart. <laughs> always always love to see that as a, a Jay. Um, yeah. I, I, I think you you made a really good point that is the polar opposite of Villanova. Their role players are stepping up and making plays when they need it and, and filling in where they need to be. The difference, obviously, is that Villanova doesn't have their stars, does not have them available, or at least, like I would say Eric Dixon is probably their star player. Um, but you don't want, like you said, Caleb Daniels can do a lot, but he should not be your number two. He's like a number three guy or or a guy that can spell your number one or number two. They need a Whitmore. They need Justin Moore back. They need something, someone that can be that go-to guard to, to kind of help and take the pressure off. Meanwhile, UConn's obviously got Sonogo, who's playing well. They've got Tristan Newton at guard the transfer out of East Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. And he has, yeah, East Carolina. And he has really provided some awesome balance to this offense and something that they really need. Um, so he helps facilitate and, and do a ton. But I'm with you. I think UConn's had the best start. It's not hard at this point in the season when two teams are undefeated in the league and one of them is uh, is in the top 10 and has beaten notable teams where the other has pounded on cupcakes. So, Shout out to the Johnnies, like you said. Still undefeated, but they have some work to do. Uh, with that said, we've we've been able to take in some games and, and really see some of these guys that are impact players. I mentioned one just now. Tristan Newton is definitely an impact player for me. He has done a ton for Danny Hurley's team. He's averaging 12.6 points, almost five rebounds, over four and a half assists, 1.5 steals, and just turning it over 2.5 times a game. Really solid numbers, especially considering how many times the ball and the offense will run through Adama Sonogo for a guard to, to be able to do that for UConn. 
Absolutely. And I, I'm excited to see how he matches up. Um, of course, bringing it back to Creighton with Ryan Nemhard and Trey Alexander. Um, Trey Alexander really kept the Jays afloat um, in that game, uh, the, the Maui Invitational Final in the first half mm -hmm. of that game against Arizona. And um, you, you mentioned it, um, is that he was the only uh, Blue Jay starter to not receive um, preseason honors. And he's been just absolutely phenomenal. I think he's shooting 56%. His, he dribbles and traffics so well. His mid-range game um, is just absolutely phenomenal and always seems to be in the right place at the right time. So he's been uh, an impact performer that uh, might fly under the radar, might not, might not um, stuff stat sheets, but is as important of a player um, on any team the conferences can be, in my opinion. Yeah, and he, he's a guy that we talked about preseason, too, is not getting enough hype. Like, yeah, Creighton has a ton of guys, like a ton of guys. Um, but it's just funny when maybe their most talented and best NBA prospect kind of goes under the radar like he did. Um, so definitely a good shout there. I'm going to call out uh, Olivier Maxence Prosper, Prosper, excuse me, from Marquette, averaging 14 points, five rebounds a steal and a half a game, shooting it incredibly well from the field, 58%, 40 from three. Uh, I loved Cam Jones preseason in the B-Fox and B-Frank show. I said he was my guy to watch for Marquette. Now that they get this out of Prosper, it, it really changes and adds versatility to this offense and what they can do. Um, he has only taken 23s. That's not that big a deal at this point in the season. Eight of 20 is a damn good number, and uh, you, you got to go from there. Another guy that I really like is Jaden Taylor, the sophomore at Butler. He is a revelation. Him and Chuck Harris in the backcourt is such a good duo. 16 points a game, four rebounds, almost two assists, two steals a game, and he's shooting at 50% from the field. He does a little bit of everything. He, he helps take some of the pressure off of Harris. And this is a team, like I said, I think they can do a lot of damage in the Big East. I th think they can compete for a top three spot in the league. They just need to get healthy. Once they're healthy, they can be a very dangerous team. Manny Bates is a great player in the post, but he needs help. They, they really don't have a ton of depth at the forward position. Yeah, if they... Uh get bitten by the injury bug that has hurt Creighton so many times in the past five, six, seven years. Um, they're in a world of hurt and having a, an oft injured Greg Oden on the staff hopefully doesn't spell bad news for them there. But uh, no, no, no. <laughs> as you said, that backcourt's phenomenal. Um, Thad Mata obviously has as small of a learning curve as you could probably ever imagine a yeah. coach that hasn't actually he, he, he was in a kind of a, an administrative role last year um, before uh, now moving over to Butler. But uh, I, I trust him. And I, as you said, now, given the fact that Villanova struggling so much, um, Xavier, uh, three losses already to, to albeit great competition. Um, Butler fighting for a top three or four spot would not surprise me either. Yeah, no doubt about it. And this is a guy he had four uh, one season at Butler where he won 24 games. He's been to Xavier where he won 26, 26, and 26 games. He's been to the Final Four twice. He's been in the National Championship game. He's been to multiple Sweet 16s. Like He's done a little bit of everything um, at his time in the college game. And I think 
you're just seeing that veteran presence on the sideline right now for Butler, which is uh, doing them a ton of good. Uh, the last guy I'm going to mention before we move to our second to last segment, the penultimate, is Suli Boom from Xavier. And if I can find the proper tab that I have open, uh, we knew what Nunji was going to do. Colby Jones is hyper efficient right now from the field and doing a ton. Suli Boom is just such a revelation. He's shooting over 50% from the field and from three. Uh, he's averaging. 16 points, four rebounds, and four assists in 32 minutes of playing time. He is number two in the team in minutes played at this point. Xavier has an issue with turnovers. They do not have an issue offensively or scoring the ball. They, they do both of those very well. If they can cut down the turnovers, this is going to be a very hard team to beat. They are 15th in offensive efficiency per Ken Palm, and that is in big part due to Suli Boom becoming that second, third option offensively behind Nunji and Colby Jones. And I, I was got so sick of JP McCure. I got so sick of Paul Scruggs. <laughs> I, Colby Jones and Jack Nunji are both incredibly likable. Um, Suli Boom, uh, I, I'm sure he's a great guy as well, but he, he he's my next, I think, guy <laughs> for Xavier just because he'll, he'll be he'll be that thorn in the side that uh, you can you can lock Colby Jones down. Uh, Trey Alexander can guard him. Um, Nunji can maybe have an off shooting night, um, but here comes Suli Boom um, just at the wrong moment for opposing fans, and um, I, I'm glad you mentioned him here. Yeah, transfer from UTEP. He's a fifth-year senior, started at San Francisco, UTEP. Now he has found his way to Cincinnati, the Queen City. Um, those are our impact players for now, unless you have anyone else you wanted to mention. Otherwise, let's dive into some games to watch this week. Let's do it. All right. I think we got to open with your game. Creighton heads to Texas on Thursday. Top 10 battle. Longhorns are number two in the country, if I am remembering correctly. Yep. Uh, this says all the makings of a phenomenal, phenomenal resume win for Creighton. This is a game, if they can pull it off, that you look back at in March saying they went on the road in a hostile environment. They played the number two team in the country and they got the job done. This is, this is worthy of putting you up an, another seed line if you're able to get this win. Yeah. And obviously not putting the cart before the horse, but, um, uh, I was just terrified after seeing what Texas get, did to Gonzaga um, at the movie yeah, center. That was impressive. Yeah, but then I kind of stepped back and think to myself, um, Gonzaga was given their preseason ranking um, kind of due to precedent. The way that they've played this year, I'm not convinced that they're starting five. Um, that Creighton's starting five is so much worse than Gonzaga that I should actually be that scared of Texas. Um, that being said, um, I'll be at the game tomorrow, flying out to Austin, um, or today when you're listening, and love um, it, which, which will be an absolute blast. I gotta keep the um, you, you, you saw uh, Seton Hall take off, take uh, Texas down last year at, at the Rock, and uh, I will hopefully um, I will uh, pass the torch. <laughs> exactly, I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully get to see the same tomorrow in uh, the Christian Bishop revenge game. Um, we'll see yeah. how he matches up. Who ends up guarding him will probably be matched upon uh, Kaluma rather than Kalkbrenner, who was uh, the heir apparent at Creighton um, after Bishop, given that Bishop had to play the five for us for those couple of years. But uh, it, it, we'll get into it a little bit later. But the if, if 
yes, it was a 50 more so of a 50 50 split, but the, the Creighton versus Arkansas environment at Maui ready mm-hmm. this team to play in any environment that any hostile environment um, uh, throughout the rest of the year. And I, I, as you said, getting a win there would just be absolutely huge, um, especially later in the season uh, when you're talking about throwing brackets together, but I'm incredibly excited for it. And um, I'm quite nervous, but uh, a, a two it's good nervous seven, energy I, though. Exactly. It, it's, it's, it's a hype is building that the two seven mm-hmm. um, will make it just an absolute blast and a half. And regardless of the result, uh, it'll just be an incredible environment because the Moody center seems to be um, they Texas did the right, right. Uh, made the right decision in downsizing. Cause that seems like an incredible place to play. Yeah. Baylor is actually doing something similar or planning to do something similar. So something about Texas, they say everything's bigger, but apparently not. Um, if you see McConaughey, tell him we said hello. Uh, the boy, the boys from the Power Six Pod. Um, another game I'm looking forward to this week. It's it's Saturday. Wisconsin Marquette, one of the more underrated rivalries in the sport of college basketball, always seems to be a crazy finish in these games. Uh, we had the COVID tip in by then freshman. Justin Lewis, I almost forgot his name, uh, coming off the bench, making a play. Uh, and, and it was a, a really fun couple years this game has uh, had recently. And then for me, the last one is Sunday. St. John's gets their chance. They're heading to Ames to take on Iowa State. That's a ranked opponent, a power six team, and a chance to put a, a quality win on their resume outside of conference play, which is something that the Johnnies really haven't had a chance to do in the past few seasons. Yeah, that's a, a Sunday afternoon matinee, um, which will go a long way in legitimizing. Uh, hey, is can St. John sneak into that um, bottom version of the top tier that we have this year, or will Iowa State just defend them to death and frustrate the heck out of that backcourt? Um, Pasha Alexander and Andre Curbelo, who may not be able to keep their composure, um, uh, as well in such in such an environment and and Ames Iowa is a great place for a basketball game. Hilt Magic is real. Hilt um, Magic. So the 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 Iowa State fans will um, be jazzed up to see that. I'm I'm going to both uh, I think the Baylor uh, and the Kansas games there this year, and that's another incredible environment for all uh, college basketball fans. So the Johnnies are going to get hit in the mouth on Sunday, and uh, we'll see how they respond. Yeah, it's definitely a litmus test at worst. You can tell where you are in comparison to the rest of the teams in the Big East who are a little more battle-tested. That said, St. John's is still going to win some games, so I wouldn't be too worried. Any uh, other games to watch here? Um, another kind of uh, inner-city rivalry um, for a lower-tier team. Uh, DePaul and uh, Loyola are playing on Saturday. Um, which I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm, I'm not well that well versed on the rivalry or the history of that rivalry. Um, but I'm sure that'll be an exciting matchup as well. Yeah, it's actually uh, it's a fun game because of the fact that Loyola has been so good the past few years. Um, it's, it's on pretty equal footing. Um, trying to find the, the history of the rivalry here. Uh, Look at the stats department. They played 40 times. DePaul leads the series 30 to 10 in the 
that's not what I wanted. In the recent history, though, I want to say Loyola has had their way. They've won the last two. They played last season. Loyola won by four, and then they played previously in 2012-13. Loyola won by eight. Um, DePaul had dominated the series prior to that. So another good game. Like th- These are the fun things to get going again. These are the fun non-conference games. These are what we should be seeing. Um, so definitely looking forward to those games. And as we close up for uh, the show this week, let's talk a little, let's hear a little bit about Maui. Give us, give us a breakdown of, of how things went in Maui. Well, the, the Lahaina Civic Center, um, 2,400 people per game, more or less. Uh, we're lucky enough to have all session tickets and see some. It, it was as stacked a Maui field as mm-hmm. um, maybe ever. Uh, five ranked teams, I think. Um, and got to see darn near every game, which was just an absolute blast. Like, no environment um, in college sports that I've ever been a part of. I, I put the Field of Dreams game the first Field of Dreams game where Tim Anderson hit the walk-off into the corner yeah. um, up next to this Maui environment as far as cool sports environments that I've gotten to be a part of. And um, I got to meet San Diego State coach, uh, head coach Brian Dutcher. He was the first to wish me a happy Thanksgiving, which was pretty darn cool. <laughs> a picture with him. Um, uh, Titus and Tate were there covering the event. I got to chat with them a bit uh, over those three days. Um, nice. And then Landers Nolly, who uh, – plays for Cincinnati had a mm-hmm. nine of 14 from three game uh, who had, he'd been, I think to, at Virginia tech and then Memphis previously and uh, getting to um, tell him basically how cool that was to watch uh, was pretty incredible because he came one made three away from breaking the record in Maui. Um, so all, all sorts of uh, cool moments that weren't even Creighton related um, mm-hmm. and Beating Texas Tech was phenomenal. Um, kind of had control of that game. Texas Tech is an incredible, well-coached team. Mark Adams is phenomenal. One of my dad's really good friends is the head coach at Grand Valley State Division II um, up in Grand mm-hmm. Rapids, Michigan, and knows a fair amount of guys on the Texas Tech staff um, and really respects them, and they're a heck of a coach. So anytime you can kind of escape with a win over Mark Adams, um, no matter who he has on his team, um, and, and, and beaten Kerwin Walton, who uh, transferred over from UNC, who Creighton was taking a look at and shied away from after Baylor Shireman uh, uh, committed over the summer was great. And um, mm-hmm. all, all five starters uh, in Creighton's lineup are averaging in double figures, uh, led by Ryan Kalkbrenner, just over 16 points a game. The rest of the four starters are in between 12 and 12.7 points. Um, and each of them kind of had a, a big game, a, a, a big moment or, um, throughout Maui, uh, the Arkansas Creighton game was like no environment I'd ever experienced. Uh, whenever Arkansas would get the Woo pig chant going, um, we tried to drown them out. Um, huge, huge, I think kind of unofficial rivalry there. We'll see if we can get a home and home going these next few That'll years. Be fun. Yeah. Eric Musselman and his, his team are very easy to hate. Um, and Creighton, basically they, they ran out of time. They were mountain. They, that was just an absolutely intense game throughout the entirety of it. Um, felt really darn good. Uh, Baylor Sharman hit a three from the logo in that game. A lot of big moments. Um, 
Trevon Brazil had an incredible dunk. That 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 team, um, I, I put after that when I I, I couldn't over uh, in Hawaii, but when I got back to the mainland, I put a bet on uh, Arkansas to win the SEC. But then they struggled with Troy, so who knows how that how that's going to work? But Arkansas yeah. is arguably as talented of a team um, as exists in the country. And then yeah. <laughs> So it, it just incredible experience overall. Uh, um, obviously kind of disappointed that uh, Creighton couldn't get the job done against Arizona, but Arizona is every bit They're of top good. five team. Yeah. Um, is is going to, in my, in my, in my eyes, they're in the driver's seat in the PAC 12 um, mm-hmm. uh, based on what we've seen from UCLA so far this year. And Tommy Lloyd's another phenomenal coach. Um, so the fact that Creighton was down, I think, 14 at one point in the second half and fought back and made it a two-point game. Obviously disappointed to win, but it's hard to be too pissed off in paradise. And I'm sure I'll remember things after we record or whatever, but just a phenomenal event. And it, anybody who's, whether you have a rooting interest or not, um, gets the Maui Invitational at some point in your life. Love that. Love that. And it's actually funny you mentioned Landers Nolly. He, when he was at Virginia Tech, he played in the Maui Invitational led his team in all three games in scoring 22, 15 and 22 points in those three games. Something about the Lahaina civic center. That guy just loves it. Those soft rims, man. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily want to talk too much about Seton hall. So I'll give a quick synopsis. I saw them play Iowa. This is the team is at an inflection point. And it's hard to say that when they're four and three so early in the season, but I think, Shaheen Holloway has his way that he wants guys to play and it's whether they buy in or not at this point. I think it's, it's pretty easy to see that there is some sort of friction, I think is the nice way to put it among the team. Um, and and the, the style of play, a guy like Kadari Richmond is playing like a, a shadow of himself at this point. You need him to play well. Uh, the depth at the forward position is just not there. It's inconsistency, and we, we really don't have that guy on offense. Alamir Dawes was supposed to be him a bit, and it's it's not consistent enough. And if he's having an off game, like I don't I don't know where we go. Iowa was tough because they didn't necessarily play well. Like Chris Murray is good, and that's that shouldn't be a surprise. As uh, you know, the night before we recorded this, he had thirty one points and twenty rebounds. But like outside of him, there's not a ton that scares me on that Iowa team, and they just found ways to get him the ball and the defense wasn't great. So I'd like to see a pickup of defensive intensity. I'd like to see just some sort of offensive set. It's early. I'm not going to panic. I think if you can instill culture over winning at this point, it's, it's worthwhile because this is, you know, this is a long-term project. This is, this is our guy. Um, If he can get the job done, then great. But if not, I guess we're back to square one. Um, So Kansas is a free hit, in my opinion. You you go in there expecting nothing. If you get a win, all is forgiven from this past weekend. Like you have your resume win that you needed. Memphis is certainly a good one. Kansas outshines that by a mile, and then at that point, you just have to go five hundred and Big East play in your your tournament team. So we'll see what happens. I, I try not to put too much stock in the early part of the season, especially because there are so many new pieces. But it it's been frustrating. I think is the the way to put it. That's fair. Um, I, I think that first-year coaches uh, Sean Miller and Thad Mata would uh, display similar sentiments. 
Um, and there's nothing wrong with building culture. Uh, and as you said, tomorrow's game or today, if you're listening um, in Lawrence, uh, just got to fight like hell and hope yeah. you come out on the other side. Show some energy. That's the biggest thing. Um, but that's our show for this week. Thank you all for listening. We will be back at some point. We are not sure yet, hopefully on a weekly basis, but it's TBD as, as Sam and I have busy schedules, so we try and fit it in whenever we can. Go Jays, go Hall, go Big East, and we will see you all next time.